Welcome to another edition of the Bharat Vartha Weekly. I'm Roshan Karyapa. I have with me Nirav Kanodra to run you through the news and events of the week that was. And it's been quite an eventful week. Uh, unfortunately, the violence in Manipur continues. Uh, the Prime Minister has addressed the situation as well. Last week, the government also has decided to ban the export of non-Basmati rice. The Sri Lankan president is on a diplomatic visit to India. We'll bring you updates on that front. There were also the case of several terrorists being caught in various parts of the country. And there's been a 28% tax uh, proposed uh, by the GST Council on online gaming. All of this and more on this Bharatvartha Weekly. All right, uh, let's move on to the first piece of news for today. Last week, videos from Manipur's ongoing crisis surfaced on social media and went viral, causing an uproar across the country. The video showed horrifying visuals of a mob forcing two women to strip naked and uh, they were paraded around at gunpoint. On Thursday, Prime Minister Modi held a press conference in front of the new parliament building and said the heinous incident will shame any decent society and has insulted the entire country. Nirav, this violence seems to be ongoing. Is there any resolution in sight? There's nothing good about this, right? So I think basically we've spoken about this earlier as well. Abhishek spoke more about it. Uh, It is between in Manipur, there is in the Infal area, in the valleys is uh, dominated by the Maitis. And in the hills, it's dominated by other tribals. This is kind of ethnic clashes between the two. Uh, Maitis are not represented in like scheduled tribes and they want that reservation. And that would also enable them a little more political representation as well as reservation for education and jobs, etc. And it's it's like a really sad thing. They're like This is like a real breakdown of law and order. And when there is violence and all these clashes, it brings out the worst in all people. There is no justification for this. Hopefully, there is something done. Uh, maybe sadly, it might be, I don't know, but uh, you could think about like trying to get precedent soon. But even with the army in there, it's been very difficult. Also, there are rumors or speculation of like uh, a foreign hand funding all these things. So maybe you need to try and like drain the swamp, cut the roots of those things. But yes, all in all, it's just a very sad thing. A uh, good thing is that uh, the people, because of like videos taken, the people who are parading the women, uh, they've been nabbed and uh, they've been arrested. Uh, but like, I think uh, some serious action needs to be taken that there is no justification for this kind of things. So just a sad episode through and through. Yeah, uh, I saw many interesting threads on Twitter talking about the changing demographics of uh, Manipur over the last 100 plus years, some of the ethnic divisions that have cropped up and some reasons and so on and so forth, right? Obviously, you can't really verify the veracity of some of these things. And, uh, you know, like with everything, there are two or three multiple sides, in fact, to every uh, sort of a perspective, right? But yeah, I mean, as Nirav said, I think uh, some of this is also a spillover from the instability in Myanmar as well, right? And uh, Dr. Jayashankar had recently met the foreign minister representative very recently at a diplomatic summit as well, right? So yeah, let's hope the situation is uh, resolved. All right, uh, last week, the Indian government imposed a ban on the export of non-Basmati white rice. Uh, The ban comes as a result of the Ukraine-Russia war intensifying. Moscow has called off the grain deal, the deal that allowed Ukraine to export grains. Russia claimed Ukraine has been misusing this deal. Earlier, the Indian government had also banned the export of wheat uh, and imposed a 20% tax on grain exports. This uh, was to curb over-exporting of grains and prevent a shortage uh, in the domestic market. 
Nirav, uh, you know, this uh, Russia war situation, I mean, continues to have an impact on, you know, commodity prices, exports and whatnot. Yes. So, yeah. What do you make of this? I would say like, so I think like people are trying to put, you know, extrapolate too much from the Russia-Ukraine war. So I think, yes, one thing is that that is wheat, right? And uh, though people, some people use rice and wheat as substitutes, I think India is focused more on its own domestic uh, economy. India produces rice about 120 tons. Uh, a year. India consumes about 95 to 100 a year is domestic consumption, 20 is exports. About 40% of that is Basmati, 60% is non-Basmati. So about like approximately you can say uh, 10 million tons of Basmati, 8 to 10 million tons of Basmati rice is exported and about 12 to 15 tons of non-Basmati rice is exported. Uh, India's major trading partners in this is uh, Bangladesh, Nepal, Malaysia, Right. And also big other big rice importer is like Philippines, but Philippines mostly imports from Vietnam. So India, Thailand and Vietnam are big rice exporter. Rice is a monsoon crop. It's a Kharif crop. Uh, bulk of the harvest will happen after the monsoons in September. Uh, so October, November, that's when the stock should hit. And uh, so we will have like whole restocking big amount of supplies coming in. This is an El Nino. We are starting in an El Nino cycle where probably rainfall will be less. We don't know yet. This year, what has happened is India's average rainfall is the same as previous years, but there's a spatial distribution. So there is a lot more. If you draw a center line through India on the western part of India, there's a lot more rains, floods, etc. You see it in Delhi. You see it in Gujarat. You had like Gujarat. You had like the big Bipar Joy cyclone. So you've seen a lot more rainfall on the western part. But in like Eastern UP, Bihar, Bengal, there's a lot less rainfall and they have big rice growing areas as well. That is one thing. So what is India concerned about that? Do we have enough for our domestic market? India is very concerned about like managing inflation domestically and only the surplus, if any, should be exported. Again, Basmati rice is premium rice that if you export, that's fine. That's at a higher. They don't want the inflation to hit the lowest common denominator, like the average person on the street. The second thing is. Uh, last year, yes, we had similar like kind of like odd rainfall, lower wheat crop, rice crop also not great, but it was all average or like slightly below average. So we imposed a 20% duty on rice export. But India is quite a big rice exporter. So maybe this is up till the end of the monsoons. Uh, we see if the monsoon and monsoon crop is okay. Uh, this could be turned around uh, that we could again re-release. Uh, second thing is they want to kind of prevent holding or prevent a few commodity trading companies to buy up and like to store overseas and then sell. Uh, they are open to like government to government deals. So that also some clarification has come out. See, India is very concerned about inflation. We are going into an election cycle within a year. There's an old saying in India, growth may not win you elections, but inflation could surely lose you one. So uh, the government is well aware. So my read into this is, External commentators, a lot of people are com commenting this is due to Russia, Ukraine war and all of those things. It is a simply international rice prices are rising. India is worried about the monsoon and India is worried about its own domestic food security. And if anything like COVID has taught us, right? I think uh, resilience is very important that you need to focus on having your own food and supply chain security very much. And for all supply chains, you need to have parallel sources. So if uh, maybe India's stopped or uh, Thailand or Vietnam could export more. Maybe who knows? So maybe they make, if they have a better crop or whatever. 
so i think if the crops are good if there is enough procurement in the mandis or like if the prices don't go up much uh, then india won india also has like a lot of buffer stock i think 20 30% of our annual consumption we hold buffer stocks and those will be utilized in case uh, we had drawn them down during covid as well we drew we drew them down quite a bit when the wheat prices so i think this is just proactive management and uh, we've got a global inflation issue and uh, so this part is uh, india wants to insulate the common man because you have like a two level price clearing first of the domestic demand needs to be met and any surplus should be exported instead of you export out and react to international prices and then uh, raising prices for everyone i think that's what the government wants and uh, so we'll see that if i were to use very technical terms india is having a spatial distribution uh, mismatch on rainfall as well as intertemporal so as per forecast start of the season rainfall will be normal but it will taper off and we might have below average rainfall this year so tomato prices went up a lot tomato is a, a vegetable with a short crop cycle which is about 2 uh, and 1/2 to 3 months so earlier in april may tomato prices were too low so lesser people planted and now a big chunk was uh, washed out due to floods in some parts so that is why the prices have gone up a lot i think went from like 25 rupees a kilo to 120 rupees a kilo and now it's come back down again like 60 70 so again this probably is going to be uh, very temporary i think we've got a lot better data and like with better smartphone connectivity i think now farmers who are growing some other vegetable or some other crops will say okay this cycle i can just boost tomatoes right i'll grow a little more tomatoes and we've got a very quick like it's a three month cycle a quick reaction function it's a all year round crop so uh, hopefully that gets sorted as well so yes i think you have to say like one good thing about like this government has been that instead of just giving handouts or uh, earlier what had happened uh, if i were to compare upa versus nda government so upa government and the prices rose all they did was like raise prices for the farmers and there was like lot more inflation in the society and uh, this government has been a little bit proactive managing a lot of multiple levers and trying to find a solution high prices are good for the farmers but bad for the consumers and uh, in vote terms or whatever i think everybody is a consumer right so kind of hits so you need to have a balance and they they are trying to get that balance right and uh, this is there i think the western commentators are saying oh india is colluding with russia or opportunistically doing something i don't think so at all these are just two things coincidentally happen at the same time in a few places maybe rice and wheat are direct substitutes but if you see we are going to have so there are two these weather patterns la nina and el nino so la nina we have a lot more rainfall that's a problem el nino is we have a lesser rainfall and we are transitioning so this probably sees a few more uh, places where uh, you could have crop yields a little bit lower and if you are dependent on importing all your food you are particularly vulnerable and uh, so i think everybody start thinking about these things and uh, yes so uh, that's the thing but uh, i think hopefully if monsoon is good crops are good this ban will be revoked by november december or something right and the ban is uh, to clarify only on non basmati rice right which is yes. uh, anyway i mean not uh, the highest about 60% about 60% of the rice that we export basmati is the more premium one 
सो बासमति प्राइस इज गोइंग अप इज नॉट गोइंग टू हैव लाइक एन आम आदमी कंप्लेन अ लॉट बिकॉज़ दे हैव अ सब्स्टिट्यूट व्हिच इज अ चीपर राइस ऑलराइट श्रीलंकन प्रेसिडेंट रनिल विक्रमसिंघे विजिटेड इंडिया ऑन 21 जुलाई एट द इनविटेशन ऑफ द इंडियन प्राइम मिनिस्टर नरेंद्र मोदी जी ऑन दिस विजिट द टू कंट्रीज अडॉप्टेड अ विजन डॉक्यूमेंट टू डीपन इकोनॉमिक टाइज द टू कंट्रीज डिस्कस्ड सेवरल इश्यूज फ्रॉम ग्रीन एनर्जी टू पोर्ट्स टू रिसर्च एंड डेवलपमेंट टू इंफ्रास्ट्रक्चर अक्रॉस सेवरल फील्ड्स नीरव आई थिंक यू नो वी स्पोक अबाउट दिस अर्लियर दैट यू नो श्रीलंका वाज ऑब्वियसली क्लोजर टू चाइना एंड सो ऑन बट सिंस द इंप्लोशन विद द इकॉनमी एंड एवरीथिंग इंडिया हैज सीन kind of an opportune moment to make up for things right is this a, a kind of a new start of a new relationship uh, for both the countries yes so if you look at it i think see china they've got a strategy called the string of pearls where they wanted to build up assets all around india around the indian ocean so like myanmar sri lanka pakistan gwadar port in sri lanka hamban tota port etc and a lot of times there's too much debt piled up on sri lanka for like an asset which Uh, you do not have the china level of productivity so you cannot just invest and automatically your economy will grow so they had a debt crisis we've spoken about it earlier like multiple missteps that they had taken and uh, that has caused like a big reset we all know sri lanka has uh, much stronger cultural ties with india right there is a little bit of you can say connection of like the tamil diaspora like both sides of the park street but like uh, sinhalese people may not like it but like due to cricket due to like a lot more tourism uh, sri lanka and india are much more closer culturally and now what india is doing is uh, trying to work with sri lanka try to win their confidence back see sri lanka and nepal actually both these countries they both feel that they are sandwiched between two like much bigger countries and they are trying to play the balancing act and uh, what india is uh, doing is giving them some soft loans a little bit of investment a little bit of like uh, helping them with logistics and like port management etc so kind of trying to get the sri lanka's orientation in geopolitically towards india back again all these relationships are work in progress and uh, really in like politics or geopolitics there are no permanent friends no permanent enemies but permanent interests so i think it's in india's permanent interest to have uh, friendly neighbors I think countries like Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Nepal, we need to be more proactive and manage it. Like I think with Pakistan due to the Kashmir issue or whatever historical reasons, it is a much tougher thing. So at least with these ones, we can try and like uh, work at it and work at it in terms of partners. We do not want vassal states either. Uh, we do not want uh, to have debt diplomacy burden them too much with debt and then try and like dictate terms on them. Uh, we want to like hopefully we want to be friendly and uh, so i think that's that's where it is so this is a rebuilding process i think sri lanka was very well aligned with india till like china came in with a checkbook and like lent them a lot of money it was not giving them that much money and that was like you would call then they were kind of uh, those things go bad and then it's like shylock demanding the pound of flesh right so we don't want that so hopefully it's a good reset and beneficial both ways The Sri Lankan pre- president has also expressed uh, profound gratitude uh, towards India for helping tide over uh, the crisis uh, which happened last year, and I think a stable neighborhood is uh, very much in our interest as well, right? I mean, for a variety of reasons, you know, we've seen uh, what the opposite can do, whether it's on the Pakistan side or 
Myanmar and so on, right? Over the past week, law enforcement agencies across the country have busted and arrested multiple terrorists. Uh, a student from Aligarh Muslim University was arrested over alleged ISIS links. Uh, an ISIS module planning terror attacks was busted in Kerala and one held from Tamil Nadu. An LET module was busted in Bangalore where five were arrested. They were caught with hand grenades, pistols and, dra- and daggers and other lethal explosives. Finally, two members of ISIS-inspired group SUFA were arrested in Pune as well. I mean, it's it's good that all of these people have been caught, but uh, it's also troubling that, you know, I mean, there are all these various uh, sleeper cells uh, across the country uh, that could uh, potentially mobilize, right? Is there like a long-term solution to some of this uh, stuff, uh, Nirav? It's a very, very difficult problem. You try and like, it's pretty much a game of whack-a-mole, like something pops up somewhere and you go react to it and attack here, attack there like prevent all these attacks happening. I think a lot of within the society, you need a lot more trust on all sides. And uh, you have like a lot of these brainwashing uh, cells, which kind of ISIS has done and kind of terror funding. I think if the roots of the problem are attacked, I think like one of the, one of the solutions would be like uh, faster and more equitable economic growth for all. So if everybody is prosperous and doing better, uh, they don't try to like break things apart or disrupt things or like bomb, etc. So that is one. And second is there could be still people like very brainwashed by ideology and all of those things that needs to be clamped up. Like you need to be like a, uh, India is a secular uh, democratic country and everybody has their rights, but uh, that, that, that stops at like trying to impose violence on others. Uh, try to probably attack the root, the sources of financing uh, and uh, all the criminal activity that is definitely one thing and uh, finally the isis problem has kind of gone to the back burner like within syria in that uh, syria iraq border etc also us has vacated afghanistan so uh, that's kind of left a vacuum in that region of like power and uh, hopefully i think uh, there as well if those things are somehow sorted out in the middle east or like afghanistan central asia we probably might see like lesser money flowing in. So I'm happy that these many are caught. I don't know what is worrying is if so many are caught, how many more are there? And uh... yeah, I think if you look at uh, Kashmir Post, uh, the abrogation of 370, right? I mean, uh, that's a classic example. Obviously, economic opportunity has improved. You know, the situation uh, lifestyle wise has improved there and uh, you're seeing lesser terrorist activity there i mean of course uh, you know we have a bunch of g20 activities and events uh, lined up so you know uh, fingers crossed hope uh, those go by peacefully um, right but uh, yeah i mean it also like these kind of things uh, you know uh, gives me flashbacks of uh, the time you know during the upa years uh, where uh, i either you would hear of a you know some kind of a bomb blast some something on a train and so on and so forth right i mean uh, there's this book by uh, RVS money called the myth of Hindu terror, which talks about all of these incidents that took place. And it was fairly commonplace at that time. Uh, But thankfully, you know, over the last nine years, at least we haven't seen uh, any of that, right. And this national security is also kind of a domain where, you know, if you're doing a good job, nothing really happens, uh, right? And uh, only your bad bad, uh, or missteps are uh, basically recognized, right, or come out in public. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, finally, the GST Council decided that a uniform 28% tax uh, would be levied on the full value of the bets placed in case of online gaming without any differentiation between games of skill and chance. Earlier, only 18% GST was applicable on the platform fee charged by games of skill. As such, the increase in GST would be around 1000% under the new tax rules. I mean, there's a simpler, more easier way to say F off to an industry uh, than to do this, right? I mean, a thousand percent increase in tax is, uh, is crazy. Uh, I have my own personal reservations against uh, betting and gambling, uh, right? I mean, I think it it is uh, abjectly bad. It ruins lives and it is a very unhealthy obsession uh, for the youth, for sure. And it's uh, more common than uh, people kind of recognize, right? But regulation like this is definitely very, very harmful, uh, right? You've let an industry flourish for, what is it, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, and then you're basically coming down really hard on it, right? What happens to all of the dollars or rupees that were invested? What happens to all of the jobs? What happens to the businesses, right? I mean, you've overnight, you've sort of vanquished that. Uh, And this is also harmful signaling for investors looking to invest uh, in India, right? I mean, forget about the 4 billion or so that was supposed to come into online gaming, which is uh, definitely, you know, uh, out of the question right now. But, uh, you know, what about any other sector, right? I mean, people might think the same that, hey, uh, the government uh, can be heavy handed uh, in these sectors as well. And, uh, uh, you know, investors can be wary, right? I mean, you've seen what happened uh, in China, for instance, uh, right, with that whole implosion of the startup ecosystem. So, I think regulation like this is certainly not helpful. Uh, there should be some kind of liaising with the industry, you know, with the with the entrepreneurs and so on. And and definitely there should be some clarity, right? Because you know I've spoken to two hundred plus entrepreneurs on the other podcast that I run, the startup operator, and literally nobody likes to operate in uh, ambiguity, right? Nobody op- likes to operate in that gray area. Uh, oftentimes, you know, people think that you know startups and founders like these loopholes that they can exploit, but really, I mean, it's like a it's like a knife over your head, right? I mean, it can happen anytime and we've seen this uh, happen in other uh, industries as well like fintech for instance right where again you know some of this bnpl stuff has been uh, uh, affected as well uh, in recent times so yeah the way out is for uh, you know industry to talk to the government uh, in fact i mean a bunch of investors including tiger global peak 15 which was sequoia earlier and so on uh, have written to the government asking uh, uh, for more clarification and basically to ease out on these norms. But yeah, Nirav, what do you think? Yeah, so one is, see, the government is trying to like nudge people to do certain things or tax certain things. And I, I want to put like a mathematical example. So for example, a lot of these, you can call them games of skill or luck or whatever, but say it's all of these are like equivalent, you can say like to a lottery. So say, take an example, 10 people earlier, were putting in 10, uh, 100 rupees each. So there's a pool of a thousand and say like it's winner take it all. So firstly, the platform itself would take 15%, 150. And on that 150, they would pay 18% GST from within their 150, whatever earning was there. And the winner gets 850, nine people get nothing. Let's, let's put it a very simple example. Maybe there's some ratio, some whatever, but yeah. Now you have 10 people putting 100, 100, 100 rupees each. And on each one, 28% is directly taken off as GST. So 280 rupees is gone as GST. Remember, we were at 27, right? So it's about 10x and uh, or 1000% as you mentioned. The platform will take 15% of 720, right? So 
108 it takes out so it leaves you with uh, 612 so what this has done is that earlier you could bet 100 and you could get 8.5 times your money if you were right yeah and uh, now you bet 100 you'll get 6.12 times 6.1 times your money right so in realistically what should be 1 is to 10 odds you got 1 is to 8 and a half but now you're getting 1 is to 6 which like a lot of gamblers you see people who buy a lottery not because the odds of buying a lottery are good like mathematical odds are always against you it is because you feel you are lucky or you feel you are smart or you feel you are skilled so uh, i think that amount that people think that a lot is going to be destroyed or decimated is probably not now second thing is I want to highlight the curse of being the lead sponsor on the Indian Test Cricket or Cricket T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you had Dream 11. Previously, you had Baiju's. Long ago, we had like Sahara, which used to operate many things in airline. But like a big source, a big one was Chit Funds. And like it was a small banking finance company, small finance company, but in huge scale. That's the other thing that only when at your peak or at the hubris uh, that time you go and sponsor like the Indian cricket team, which is very expensive and gives you a, like billion eyeballs. But uh, eventually, uh, it's like the cover of the Time magazine, right? Uh, once you reach that, the only way is down. I sadly feel that is uh, another case of that. Like how you have the skyscraper index, world's tallest skyscraper, then you get a recession after that. So I think, yeah, that's the curse of the Indian uh, cricket t-shirt lead sponsor. All right, uh, we'll wait and see uh, how this pans out. Uh, that brings us to the end of this weekly. Uh, we have a very exciting episode uh, coming up. Uh, we have an interview with uh, Sandeep Sahu, the author of the book, Madam President, an inspiring narrative of the life of India's current president, uh, Draupadi Murmuji. So that is uh, going to be published uh, this week. Uh, do check it out. Uh, follow us on social media. We're at Bharatwartha on all these platforms. We will definitely put out uh, a tweet or a post uh, until then, uh, from Nirav and myself, thank you so much for joining us. Do stay safe, take care, and Jahin.